Hello there, Movie Muckabout fans. I just wanted to drop in before you heard the music to let you know the music has changed. We got some changes going on over here at the Longbox Crusade Attic, home of Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout. Not only are we updating our music, provided by the most excellent musical genius, Joe November, but also we are going to start posting these shows on their own feed. That'll be coming really soon. So, hope you enjoy the new music. Hit it, Joe. Crusade presents Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout, because the podcasting world needs yet another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I am a movie lover, and I have got this great attic full of movies, plus my own collection of movies as well. Sometimes I talk to friends and I find out that they haven't seen a movie that I find to be just a classic, and that makes me sad. It makes me cry inside. So, to fix this problem, I sit down with the person, and I make them watch the movie, and then I ask them about their thoughts and impressions. Does that sound like fun? I hope it does, because I've got a great guest this time. It's Sean Ross from the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast. Sean, my buddy, my friend, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm ready to talk about Alex and Julie and Jack and Katie. No, and re- no, re- no, 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 no. <laughs> wrong show, wrong show, wrong show, wait, wait, wrong what? show. <laughs> Is this a bait and switch? What are you doing? <laughs> you better believe it is, my friend. We ain't talking no comic books here. We're talking movies. <laughs> okay, I can do that too. I can do that yeah. too. <laughs> I'm glad that you reached out because I know that we've had a lot of fun together. We, we've uh, been on each other's shows. I think you might have been one of the first podcasters I actually like went on another show with or, or had on our show. Yeah, I think you were. We You guested on our Secret Wars 2 show. We covered we covered the Power Pack and Thor crossover. And at that time, you said, this is the first time I've ever guested on a show. It was awesome. And I was like, yeah. oh, we got you early, man. This is great. <laughs> and little did I know that that was the start of like this epic podcasting career. So I can always hang my hat on that. Like We had him first. We got him first. No, so I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, and you've been very nice. I you made it out to Portland one time. We were able to have a nice drink and, and uh, some food at the Nerd Out. Rest in peace, Nerd Out. That was awesome, man. I was saddened when you told me about the place closed. That place was amazing. Oh, so much fun. So much fun. Hey, you know what? The, you come out to Portland again. We'll find some other place to go. Once this entire pandemic mess is over, I'll try to make it out to your neck of the woods yeah. and uh, get myself a sunburn. So, <laughs> so does that sound good? That'd be awesome, man. <laughs> Enough talking about this stuff, though. Let's go ahead and talk about the reason you are here. You want to see a movie, you sent me a list of movies you haven't seen, and I would like you to go out and watch Young Frankenstein. Nice. You have never seen this, right? No, no, not at all, which is shocking because I am a huge Gene Wilder fan, huge Mel Brooks fan, and when I was looking through a list of movies that I hadn't seen and that popped up, I was like, wait, what? And I'm like, no, I've never seen this. This is amazing. So I'll be honest with you. I sent you a list of like five movies. That was the one I was hoping you would pick. Young Frankenstein from 1974, directed by Mel Brooks, starring Gene Wilder, Peter Boyle, Marty Feldman, Cloris Leachman, Terry Garr, Kenneth Mars, and the 
effervescent Madeline Kahn. How have you not seen this? I almost have to turn in my J card, man. Like seriously, like if you go to Temple on Friday night, they actually let you in by checking how many Mel Brooks movies you can quote. And I, I couldn't believe I missed this. Like I seriously, like I'm embarrassed, like as a Jew, as a human, I'm fully embarrassed about having missed this. It's like, and, and I went back and looked and I'm like, that can't be right. There's no way I never saw this. And what it is, is I think it's one of those movies that is so sort of pervasive and, and, and famous for being so amazing that I just, by osmosis, I assumed I had seen it. And then I was like, no, no, yeah, never seen it. By the way, had no idea Terry Gar's in it. I love Terry Gar. Had mm-hmm. no idea Madeline Kahn's in it. Now all I can do is flames, flames from the side of my head. Uh, <laughs> cool. So, I'm, yeah, I'm super psyched for this, man. This is awesome. And again... Of the list of movies I sent you, this was totally the one I was hoping you would pick. And then when you responded to me, you were like, oh, my God, yes, we're doing this. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he picked Young Frankenstein. I think I think I might have been talking to a couple other people at the same time. And I think they all said, oh, he hasn't seen that. He's got to see that movie. Yeah. What how, do you know about it? Do you know anything about the movie at all? So I, I know it's in black and white. Because yep. I've seen like I've seen memes from it. Honestly, I know Gene Wilder is in it. I'm assuming he is Doctor Frankenstein. Uh, I re- I've seen some memes of Peter Boyle as Igor, so I'm really looking forward to that because I love Peter Boyle. That, that's literally all I know about it. I, I know the meme where I think there's a meme where Gene Wilder like sticks his head out and goes like "No, thank you," and then like pulls his head back in, <laughs> and like like that's it. It's all. It's literally other than what I know of Frankenstein. I've never seen this movie. I've never even seen a preview of this movie. I've never seen the trailer. I'm not prepared for this on any level other than i love the mel brooks aesthetic and gene wilder because he was willy wonka it has a place in my heart so like i'll i'm gonna love it no matter what i think you're going into this with the absolute right mindset and that makes me happy and i think we're going to get a good reaction once you get finished seeing this film and you know what i am very glad that you mentioned that you've never seen the trailer for this because that's a perfect lead-in we are going to listen to the trailer right now Right now. That's awesome. And then, yeah, never seen it. Never seen it. Never listened to it. That's great. Well, well hang on tight because we're going to go ahead and play it. And once we're done playing it, then guess what? We're going to talk about the movie. So grab the popcorn, have a seat, and plug in the old VCR because it's time to watch Young Frankenstein. It's coming from the deep, dark recesses of the mind of Mel Brooks. I love him. Young Frankenstein. I hear me. Creation! Sky means business. Starring Gene Wilder as Dr. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. Peter Boyle as the monster. Marty Feldman as Igor. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. Oh. (laughs) Boris Leachman as Frau Blucher. And Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth. What do you want to do to me? I'm not afraid of you. Kill the monster! See Mel Brooks' Young Frankenstein. Yes, I think we could all use a good laugh. But don't see it alone. Don't miss Young Frankenstein. Personally directed by Mel Blazing Saddles Brooks. In black and white. No offense. And we are back. That was the wonderful advertisement from Young Frankenstein. And before we give Sean a chance to wax poetic about this beautiful film, I'm going to give us a short little synopsis about eh, what it is for those of you who have been very, very bad and have not seen this wonderful movie. 20 years after the death of the infamous Dr. Frankenstein, his will is read. 
all of his estate has been given to his grandson, Frederick von Frankenstein, a brilliant conservative scientist who has turned his back on his insane ancestor's legacy. He travels to his ancestral home, leaving behind his fiancée and quickly becoming obsessed with recreating the creature with the help of Igor, Inga, and Frau Blucher. Gags, slapsticks, puns, and goofs fill this parody of a classic universal film. So, you, being a horrible, horrible Jew, have never seen this before. <laughs> Not my words, your words, your words, sir. What was oh, your know. first impression? How did it match up with your expectations? Yeah, you're right. I'm a, bad, I'm a bad Jew in a lot of ways, but one of them is because I haven't seen all of the Mel Brooks films. This one in particular, you know, and it's funny because I said, you know, when we were talking about in, in the opening, I was like, oh, I, I was actually surprised I hadn't seen it. I didn't realize it until I was really looking back. So the, my, my initial impressions are this is a, a grower of a film. And, and let me explain what Please I mean Please do, because so, remember, this is a family-friendly rent network. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, the, yeah, I'll, I'll explain. It's it's a it's a it's a little bit of a shower, but it's more of a grower. And so the the what, what I mean by that, and I'm not, I wasn't, I didn't mean to be dirty. What I meant by that is there are certain films you see, and the first time you see it, you're relatively unimpressed. But there are kernels in it that you know upon rewatch kind of grow and grow and grow. So my, the the best example I can give, in a, sort of a modern example, is Anchorman. My friend and I went to go see Anchorman in a the theater when it came out. We both looked across at each other and went, well, Will Ferrell petered out. Like, that's it. That's the end of his career. Like, this movie sucked. And my friend actually fell asleep. He had a kid, young kid at the time. And I was like, well, that was horrible. And then it was just on cable all the time. And I would catch bits and pieces of it. And by, like, the fifth viewing and, and the fact that it had enough to get me to view it each time, I was like, oh, this is the funniest damn movie I've ever seen. And I think that's what happened for most people. Like, if you mm -hmm. listen to interviews about that movie, they'll say, oh, it was a box office bomb. But cable and, you know, DVD sales grew it. There, There is actually another term to use to describe oh. that. And that would be a cult classic is what that would be. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> see, I didn't want to go that direction because for me, a cult classic is like Rocky Horror Picture Show or something yeah. like like something that is really awful, objectively mm -hmm. bad, but also delightfully wonderful. And I don't think this movie is objectively bad. It can, I would say a cult classic can be a lot of those things because I always think of Clue as being a cult classic. I love that Clue movie. is a fantastic movie. I love that movie. It's a wonderful movie, but it just did not hit people yeah. until it started getting into the v VCR or VHS market, and then people started to find it funny. There's a lot of films like that that are very, very good, and they reach that cult classic status just because more people have seen it over and over, and it's like it gets stuck in their head, and they yeah. start to recognize things. I would I wouldn't use that term here though because this movie was really successful when it came out right like it yes. was a huge hit it made forty times its budget yes yes it was a bit of a surprise on that <laughs> yeah so I, I definitely I, I'm gonna stick with grower okay <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing that for you the first time your first time viewing you weren't as impressed right it's a long movie man I it, it is not made for a 2020 aesthetic like it's mm -hmm. not made for the quick cut you know, generation, the, the, sure. the short attention span generation. And I was watching it and it has, and I want to be really fair to it because it has the trappings that I love about Mel Brooks. There is a, there's a Jewishness in his movies. There's a Jewish humor in his DNA, which yeah, I'm not like, you know, breaking any mm -hmm. secrets here. Right. But there is something that I think for everybody they respond to, but for Jews in particular, you're like, oh yeah, I've sat across the table from that guy. Like I, you know, like I know that person, I'm related to that person. Like there's a, there's a real cadence to Jewish humor that you also find in Jewish families where the it's really the put upon humor 
the like uh-huh. the basically the, the humor of Oive, right? Like, sure. oh, like I've got it, you know, and that's always, you know, in, in his movies. And so that's baked into it. And I find that really comforting. Like, I think this, this is like a nice comfort movie. Mm-hmm. And I love the cast. Like if you, if you said to me, pick the most charming cast in the history of film, well, I'd be like, well, Gene Wilder has to be in it. Mm-hmm. And Madeline Kahn has to be in it. And Terry Garr has to be in it. I mean, it is, it is a delightfully charming cast, but it feels like a movie shot off a first draft of a script. It does not feel like a movie that's well edited. It does not feel like it's as tight as it could be. And I, I finished it. The, I watched it more than once. I, the first time I finished it, I went, well, if, I felt it the way I felt about On the Road by Jack Kerouac. If a good editor hacked away 25% of it, it would mm. be near perfect. But it's just, it's kind of slow. And, and again, this was my first viewing. Sure. And the other, and I'm going to have a lot of great things to say about it, but the other <laughs> sort of complaint I would make about it is it finds itself really funny in that it's like, it's like we're a spoof of a Universal Monster movie. Uh-huh. But it rarely goes beyond that. It rarely goes beyond the like, hey, we're basically making another version of a Universal Monster movie. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it just plays it too close to that. It's like, yeah, you are. You're right. You're, you're like, I kind of felt like I was watching. Did you ever see the really bad Psycho remake with Vince Vaughn that was a shot for shot remake yes. of the movie? Yes, I did. I felt a little bit like I was watching that where I was like, yeah, I saw this movie and I actually thought it was more interesting the first time. And then I, then, then I watched it. So, so that's first viewing. Mm-hmm. So before I get lambasted by your listeners because i know this is a beloved film and before my rabbi calls me i think we've already lost jared albrecht I think he, he's already <laughs> okay. just, he's already clicked off so the rest is don't worry about it it's okay he's already totally okay we'll get that. <laughs> but before my rabbi also calls me and is like eh, you know we're, we're reconsidering we're gonna take your yarmulke away i watched it again and it did what mel brooks movies do for me which is there's a comfort level to it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, there's a predictable and a cadence to it and a cadence to it. And I found it much more charming the second time. And it was a movie that I went, yeah, I'm going to watch this again. Like I, I'm going to, this is going to be a movie that's going to be in the rotation at times now because I do, I do, I'm charmed by it and I'm charmed by the cast. I, however, I will still say it feels like a first draft. It feels like a movie that they didn't, super invested in the script. Well, it's it's interesting you say that because this time through on my rewatch, I was kind of being more critical. I, when I do my own rewatches for this show, I find that I'm a little more critical of the film. Why do I like this film? Mm-hmm. What do I find enjoyable about this film? What are some of the things that make it stand out in some people's minds? And I was do I too was noticing the fact that no, this is a little long, you yeah. know, but I think a couple of things. One, it's got those moments. It is a yeah. film that is full of great moments, yes. which by themselves are fantastic. Speaking of Jared, he rewatched this recently from when we record this. When this goes out will be a while ago. <laughs> but uh, he was mentioning that he had it on the background. And I think it's a fantastic film for a background yes. after you've viewed it a couple of times because you can kind of turn around for those funny moments and just yep. laugh. So there is a lot of extra padding in there, which... It's a 1974 film. It's kind of one of those things of by that era, that's kind of the padding they put in the films during that era. As far as the script and the editing, and it's interesting what you're talking about, about the Jewish beats in the film, because yes, this is a Mel Brooks film where he's a director, but this film was written by Gene Wilder. Yeah. This time through, I waited until after the film and I rewatched all of the background stuff that was on my DVD. And Mm -hmm. I found out a whole bunch of great things. This is Gene Wilder's baby. And he went to Mel Brooks and said, I got me an idea. And they fought, fought and fought and fought over a lot of the lines. And a lot of times Gene would go up and say, this has to be in. And he would make such an argument. 
Mel Brooks are like, all right, it's in. You 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 convince me. We're gonna put it in. And they had that kind of creative control over it. So there's some interesting beats in there where you can kind of see both of their footprints on the jokes and on the humor, which I think works for this film. Yeah, it, it's not Mel Brooks enough though. That yeah. actually, and I and I did some research too, and I you know I knew Wilder had written the script, and I actually found there was a, there's a really funny story where he goes to Mel Brooks and he's like, look, I want you to direct it. And Mel Brooks is like, I want to direct it. And he's like, but there's one catch. And Brooks is like, what is it? He's like, you can't be in it. He goes, you yeah. put yourself in your own movies all the time and you ruin them. And I was like, oh my God, that's awful. You can't say that to Mel Brooks. And he's like, so you can't be in it. And Brooks is like, all right. You know, and so, mm -hmm. but, but I will tell you, it, it's missing Mel Brooks and not just the actor, but it's missing his, like where, where Wilder is a, a subtle and sweet humor yeah, Brooks brings the like the guffaw, right? The the over the top, yeah. and you can see the moments. I mean, the roll in the hay moment, the putting on the Ritz moment. There are moments where you're like, "That's freaking Mel Brooks." Actually, one the, million the, percent. The, the Ritz moment is hundred percent Gene Wilder. That was the one that Gene Wilder fought for. Oh wow, okay, that's and surprising. That's one, and that's the one that Mel Brooks wanted to cut. Oh. He wanted to cut that entire that's thing. That's interesting. And, and Gene Wilder's like, "No, it must be in there." Yeah. That, okay, that's interesting because that felt to me like I was like well there's mel brooks you know there's a couple and then like the you know the penis jokes i'm like oh that's mel brooks you can't have a, a, a movie without a couple dick jokes and so so yeah there are these like punctuated guffaws in it that i really like like the, the yeah. put on the rich scene is laugh out loud funny oh, but it, that, is, it is a classic oh it's, and, and, it's hilarious and, and, and once again once again it's one of those things like it is a perfect moment you put that on and yeah. you can just watch that almost in repeat because it is just so insane yes Yes, and and that those those moments are great. There weren't enough of them, no. and and especially I would say the first I don't know maybe three quarters of the movie is they just don't play it enough for comedy. There's too, there are too many. Hey, look, we're doing Frankenstein again, and I'm like, I got that. Yes, that's a one note joke. What else you got? Like bring something else to this. And so so I don't find it. I definitely don't have the love for it that people that sort of grew up with sure. it do. And in my personal rankings of Mel Brooks movies, it's not like I love like producers. And, you know, History of the World and Spaceballs. I mean, there are a lot of films that are going to come before. And those are mm -hmm. movies I love. However, again, I have sort of a two-phased view of it. First time I watched it, I was like, that was way too long. Not funny enough. Second time I watched it, I went, yeah, there's real charm here. But mm -hmm. I would actually honestly ascribe most of it to the cast. Like, if, if it's cast differently, I'm not watching this again. No, no. Uh, let's talk about some of the cast. I mean, Gene Wilder. First oh and God. foremost, he's he's he is the the face of the film. Yeah, hundred percent. He does a fantastic job. Let's talk about the monster, though. Let's talk <laughs> about Peter Boyle because yeah. I really think that this movie will fall apart without Peter Boyle. I think that you could probably find other people of some caliber that could fit in different roles, but I'm not sure how who you could put in besides Peter Boyle for that role. Yeah, you need well, you need somebody physically imposing and somebody who without makeup looks like a monster, which Peter Boyle does, <laughs> but has the like sweet, sad innocence in the eyes. And that the, his whole performance is in his eyes, right? Like yeah. like the Gene Hackman scene, the, the blind man, which is that scene's again, I felt like a very Mel Brooks. <laughs> that's a laugh out loud funny scene. Oh, yes. When he when Gene Wilder, who's the blind man who's you know prayed for company and here walks in the monster. And he's trying to pour him soup and he pours it in his crotch like three times. Yeah. And and each time, you know, Peter Boyle's like, you know, and he's doing the like the noise. His eyes are selling it 100%. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so he is, 
Yes, Peter Boyle is brilliant in this. And I have to say, at first I struggled because I kept waiting for, I kept hearing off the side, like, dad, what are you doing? Like I kept hearing, you know, Ray Romano, because that's what I know Peter Boyle from the most, right? And so I kept like waiting for that, for that moment, but I didn't realize, yeah, he's, He's amazing. My, my favorite people in it are Terry Gar and Madeline Kahn, and we can get to them. Yeah. But Peter Boyle is irreplaceable. Let's go ahead, let's go ahead and talk about uh, Madeline Kahn then. Let's talk about, because she comes in first. She is the love interest of the young Dr. Frankenstein. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she is well-to-do. She is very much society literate uh-huh. and she is very much about presentation. And yes. so the scene, at, the scene at this train station pretty much tells you everything you need to know about her. He is leaving on this giant trip. She's saying goodbye to him, but she will not let him kiss her because new lipstick on, don't touch mm-hmm. the hair, I've got makeup on, and they end up just, you know, being very I'm good elbows. <laughs> being, being very good social distancers and yes. touching elbows. Um, yes, so <laughs> this is what we know about her. I mean, she has nearly no screen presence in this film. She doesn't. And yet, when she shows up, you know everything about her character. Yeah, yeah, Madeline Kahn is brilliant and she is brilliant in mel brooks movies right like like she is you know she's in in history of the world the eunuch scene is the funniest scene in that movie and she I love is quick heart oh my god yeah she is the funniest person she's the best part of clue you know the flames flames i mean she is a delight and so you're right for very little screen time she tells you exactly she's the human obstacle like he is trying to love her and she is just impediment after impediment, though you also realize very quickly, like he doesn't really love her. It's all surface level, yeah. you know, with this couple. I love when she circles back around because you're like, that's it. They advertise Madeline Kahn in this movie and she's only in the first like four minutes. And then when she circles back around at the end, she comes to visit him at, at Castle Frankenstein. Um, I really, you know, she is, she's just, <laughs> she's just delightful in that she is this unbelievably racy and randy <laughs> little powder keg. <laughs> <laughs> who is putting on a pretense, you know, mm-hmm. in moments, choosing in some moments and not in others. And she, yeah, and she's brilliant. I mean, she's just, she is, she embodies that role perfectly. And she's, she's one of the reasons I'll come back because mm-hmm. that performance is funny on a lot of levels. It very much is. That brings us to the other love interest, and that is Terry Garr's character. And she's playing the assistant that has been hired for young Frankenstein. And she comes in as, um, well, exactly what is on the box. She is the sexy (laughs) assistant who is there to help out and is naive beyond belief. And uh, And yet not. And and yet not. I mean, she is, she's got a very fantastic role. Yeah. And she plays German and she plays German. Yeah. She's the farmer's daughter. She's, she's in every farmer's daughter joke. That's exactly who she is. She's the on the surface, wide eyed, innocent, helpful, but we'll go for a roll in the hay, you know, if it calls roll, for it. Roll, roll in the hay. <laughs> she is, she is delightful. Now, it's funny. I was on an episode of MASHcast with, with our buddy Rob Kelly and Terry Gar was a guest star on it. And I loved that. He's like, why'd you request this episode? And I'm like, two words, Terry Gar. I, I don't know if it was Tootsie. I don't know. It must've been, cause that must've been the first place I really encountered her. But I have had a, like as a little boy, you know, there are people who imprint on you in like mm-hmm. a, it, and it's nascent and it's innocent. I, I would, I wouldn't even call it sexual. Like it wasn't like I was sexually attracted because I was a little boy. I was like four or five when or six when I saw Tootsie. I got to tell you, we got to put a content warning on this for the network. No, no, it's no, no, no. <laughs> I'm really not. It's, it wasn't, it's not sexual, but it's more of like a, you realize you're heterosexual or you realize your orientation, right? 
Yeah. Uh, and so, and, and I, and, and so Terry Garf for me was one of those people. The other person is Aaron Gray. I really yeah. wanted to be. I, I know. I know exactly what scenes you're talking about from Buck Rogers and we can move yep. on because that's not yes. the point of the show. <laughs> no, no, but I, but so there, so she's one of those people. And so anytime I see a movie or, or a show with her, it automatically gets extra points for me. And then she is, this is the perfect role for her. Oh yeah. She is cute, innocent, funny, sexy, uh, silly, you know, really biting. And I, I think she is, she, for me, the, the scenes pop most when she's in them. Yeah. And uh, she's just delightful. Yeah. And, and I, I have to tell you, I had a funny moment with this because I was watching it and I was like, what am I I'm so drawn to her? What was it about her direction? I was thinking about it as a little mm-hmm. boy when I first encountered her. And then I read back and I, just, I happened because I was really thinking about her a lot for some reason. And I had this weird dream where I went to prom with her. I'm like, what was that about? And then I went, oh, and I went back and looked at photos of my first really serious girlfriend in high school who I went to prom uh-huh. with. She looks just like Terry Garth. <laughs> And so I definitely had a type and I didn't realize how impacted. And by the way, my, my, not the next one, but the one after my next most serious girlfriend looks like Aaron gray. And so I apparently was very imprinted upon, but, but she's just delightful. She is hilarious and, and sweet. And I'm, and actually I am super excited that they end up together at the end of the movie because that feels right. Yes, yes. There's no question about the romance that occurs between her and Frankenstein her being on screen makes Frankenstein actually be an interesting character yes. because him doing the, no, I'm not going to give into the temptation. And everyone's like, just give into the temptation. <laughs> and I, I, you know, funny scenes that they have together, the entire scene with the candelabra and the yes. rotating wall, maybe that scene goes on too long. I don't know, but I'm laughing too hard to really care because it is funny and they hit the beats perfectly. Yeah, yeah, that is a rewatchable scene. That is yes. a, a great, and again, she just sparkles. I mean, she yes. really, and, and I like the, the point you made. He's actually the least interesting character in the movie oh, yeah. for me. And he, he goes through an arc, but it's not, you won't really understand why he goes from ultra conservative, uptight doctor to crazy reanimate the dead doctor. There, there really is no transition. No. It's just, no. you're in the yeah. castle, it's in your blood, go. And so for me, that's the part of the movie that falters a little bit. I'm like, ah, I'd like to have seen a little bit more of why that happened or, or that development. I know it's not a movie that's super concerned with that, but mm-hmm. I would have liked a little bit more of it. But he is best developed in relation to the other characters. Yes, and I, and that's perfectly fine. I think that that works for Gene Wilder to just be a bit of a, a mirror yeah. against those other characters because they're more funny and more interesting the more cred- incredulous he is about what's happening around him. That brings us to talk about Cloris Leachman as <laughs> Frau Booker. <laughs> and that joke doesn't get old. It's never explained. It doesn't need to be explained. Yeah. Who cares? She's kind of got that one note herself that yeah. she goes throughout the film, but that's fine because it's funny. Well, I have a, I have a very, very serious question. Has Cloris Leachman always been 80 years old? Because that movie is from 1974. The first time I met her was on Facts of Life when she replaced the sultry Mrs. Garrett. And I went, she like, I thought she was like 85 in that. And I was like, she has been 85 forever. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Her and... um her and Angela Lansbury. There's a point yes. in time where Angela Lansbury was just that, you know, 65, 70, yep. and then that she was that from when she was 30 on. Yeah. So it's just a thing. No shade against anybody like that at all. No. You, you got a character, run with that character because yep. you got it good. She's got a fantastic character. She's very interesting. We cannot go any further, though. Yeah. We, if we're talking about all the characters, we cannot forget Marty Feldman. 
Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me tell you again, when I rewatch this movie, it's because of the two female leads and Marty Feldman. They're, they're the, the charm in this movie, but I have to tell you what an idiot I am. I'm watching the movie and I'm thinking, wow, I didn't know they had CGI that long ago. That poor guy must've had to wear these really weird, like eyeball, like that, his eyes must've killed him after this movie. And then in one moment they zero in on his eye and you see it move and you go, oh, that's no prosthetic. That's uh-huh. his freaking eye. And uh-huh. I looked him up and I realized I had seen him in other things because I'm a big fan of British comedy, but I was like, oh my God, that's his real face. Like, like good on you for making a career with that face for like not being a circus freak because that's amazing. Yeah, he's phenomenal. If anybody's going to break the fourth wall, and I yeah. mean, there are, everybody kind of does it throughout the film, but he lives in the fourth wall and he's just like, eh, eh, eh. everything is a joke right to the audience and he's doing the winking with those bug out eyes. Yeah. He sadly passed away not too long after this film was finished filming, but the comedy genius he brings yeah. to that character and just the fun he has with the script, the fun he has with the other characters. Once again, his interactions with Gene Wilder, Gene Wilder is the straight man to the yep. jokes that he is just laying down. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, and that is a thing I love about Mel Brooks humor is the, like the beat. There's always a beat to it. There's always a situation somebody's in on the joke, somebody's not. And then the person who's not in on it catches it. And there's just this pause of like mm-hmm. social decorum pause of like, uh, oh, and then they move on. And there's yep. a lot of that with Igor and with, with Gene Wilder, with Dr. Funkenstein. And, and I mean, Igor is the, he's the, again, this movie crackles when he's on screen. And, it, and it's funny because again, I have, I have such a, it, like, I'm, I know I'm going to watch this again. And I think what's going to happen is like you do with movies, you're going to, I'm just going to zero in on the parts I really like and the people mm-hmm. I really like. And I'm going to start just ignoring the others. There's just too much of the other. It's really long. Yeah. And there's, you know, the, the credits alone almost put me to sleep. And I know that's <laughs> part of the joke because the credits on the universal monster movies are really long, but I was like, okay, guys, like a little restraint. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've gone through a lot of highs and we've got through a lot of lows. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about? I mean, we can hit all the different funny, funny scenes. Uh, we did talk enough a little bit about Gene Hackman and his entire scene, which I think is fabulous as well. There's, We've talked about the Ritz scene. Is there any scenes that we haven't mentioned or is there anything you want to mention before we before we rate this film? So, yeah, my highlights would be obviously putting on the Ritz. The Gene Hackman scene, again, Gene Hackman has apparently always been 55. Yeah. Because that's... And- his, one of his first films, right? I don't think, I don't know if it's one of his first films, but I mean, it, it is always a shock to me whenever I watch a film like, oh yeah, Gene Hackman's in this film because yeah. it seems so incongruous. But then there's there's Lex Luthor. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like Gene Hackman's in this film and he's playing just this hilarious straight man role. And it's like, wow, I, I, that's amazing. Yeah, that scene, that's one of my favorite scenes. You know, he's a, he wakes, he's blind, he wakes up and he's like praying to God and he's like, God, just send me a visitor. I just want human contact. And then the, the interaction with the, the monster is great. But I have to say one of the things that scene does, that and the putting on the Ritz scene, is it, it does make this movie feel like a series of vignettes at yes. times. Yes. Instead of a coherent film, it's some funny scenes strung together. And, and that's, I'm actually okay with that in a lot of movies or there are movies that are very much like that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good with it. In this movie, again, had they cut back a little bit, it would have shined a bit more. That really sung for me. The, the Probably the only other piece I would bring up, and, and I don't know if I would have brought this up 20 years ago, but the ending is a little troubling. The like sexual politics between Madeline Kahn and, and um, you know, the, the monster are a little troubling in moments, but also it was 1974. It's Mel Brooks. I'm, I'm cool. Yeah, at the end of it, it looks like, you know, the monster is just a henpecked husband for Madeline Kahn. So, you know, yeah. who, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? <laughs> yeah, it all works out. And it, it, works, and it out. works out and it's great. And I, again, 
I'm not so hung up on anything that I wasn't like, yeah, I, at the time this was be, you know, sure. more allowable. This is funny. I'm going to go with it. No one meant any harm. This is great. And in the end, like she has agency. She's the controlling dominant one in the relationship. And actually Terry Gar, who is a bit more submissive as a character, even she has a bit more control at the end because you realize <laughs> that that you know Dr. Frankenstein absorbed a little bit of the monster in one in his sexual prowess, uh, yeah. which is good for them, but also in like maybe his obedience a little bit. So it's kind of funny because it's a movie about kind of control and uh-huh. it's a movie about who has it and who doesn't. And in the end, you know, the two very charming female characters get it. And there's only one other place I'll go because we would be remiss if we didn't. The other funniest character in the show and the one who I really, really was like, oh my God, like this, this guy crackles is Inspector Kemp. Kenneth Mars. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He is, I mean... <laughs> He is a total parody of like a German or Balkan, you know, uh-huh. officer. From, I mean, he's Colonel Klink meets Sergeant Schultz, you know, meets, but what, with a wooden hand. He's Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's really that. Yeah. That was bugging me too. I was like, where do I know him from? Then I was like, oh, oh yeah. yeah. I only forgot yeah. about that. It, it's he is in a movie full of a bunch of different vignettes. You have this and outlandish characters. You have a character that is outlandish in a totally different way. And there are times when I watch the movie just going, I, he just doesn't fit for me. But then I lean back and go, but that's what makes it kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> so He's great. He is. Yes. He, and the, the, the bit they keep coming back to where when he gets too excited, he speaks and the crowd's like, we don't understand you. Don't get, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, gotta have somebody translate him, translate yeah. him. <laughs> and the hand thing was, was, yes. real, was really funny. Like, put it up, push it down, put it up, push it down. And With so the sound I, effects. Yeah. Yeah, the sound effects. And so, again, it, you know, considering that I, you know, probably said a lot of, of negative things in the beginning on the, again, on my second watch, though, the charming bits crackled a lot more and I was able to kind of get past it. And I definitely was like, oh yeah, this is a movie I'm going to circle back to probably in October a lot, you know, in yeah. years, like it's a hollow, it's a good Halloween movie and I'll show it to my kid, you know, and you know, I've got to start showing her Mel Brooks movies if she's going to be bought mitzvah. And so, um, <laughs> And so I, I really love it. And I, I'm really thankful because I sent you a list of films I hadn't mm-hmm. seen. I was pretty sure you were going to pick this one. It wasn't a shock to me, yeah. but I was thankful because I definitely am glad I watched it. And I, and it is a movie I'll go back to though. Again, seeing it at, in 2020, it's a little harder of a sell than it would have been to grow up with, but I still see the charm. Well, I think that's a good segue into finding out where you finally landed on your bags of popcorn. We give one to five of them to the film so we can figure out how good they are. Now, first viewing of the film is going to be different from your second viewing of the film. Where did you eventually land up yeah. on it? I just want to hear what your final number is on this film. Remember, no halvesies. I know, I know. I'm, I'm not. I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm not going to do a halvesie, but I am going to do a grower scale. Oh my <laughs> to bring gosh. It back, bring it back to the beginning. <laughs> so, yeah, first view, it would have been a two. Mm-hmm. And then second view, it would have been a four. So I, I'm going to do a three with a bullet, basically. Like, I'm going to give it a three, but with the full understanding that if you asked me again this time next year, I'd probably be like, oh, I was crazy. It's a four. So I'm perfectly perfectly aware that it's a growing, there are kernels popping. It is a growing bag. I think that is perfectly fine. I think that this is one of those films, especially for being a 1974 film, black and white. Uh, it's got some humor and comedy that has that has aged over time. Mm-hmm. It's one of those films where if you get imprinted with it when you're younger, you've got a different sense of appreciating yeah. it. And I think that coming into it as an adult in this time frame, you tend to judge things a little bit differently. So I think that a three is a fine film. I know for myself, I would put this more 
as a four. Mm-hmm. I, I think I enjoy this film a lot. I've got a f- lot of fond memories for this film. When it comes to Mel Brooks films, there's only one five, and that five is Blazing Saddles. Yeah. But that's a different conversation. Uh, this one is this one's a definitely a strong four for me. But once again, like, I can completely understand your reasoning for the three. Before we get out of here, if anybody wants to come after you, to have conversations with you about, you know, getting your Jew card and, you know, maybe cutting off one of the corners or something. Where can they find you on the internet so they can hear your other opinions about things? Uh, luckily, Jew cards already have the corners cut off. We're big. We're big on cutting things off. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so if people want to to uh, follow up conversation, then probably the best place for nuance and conversation is Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at Sean42AZ. Um, if I'm also on the Pulp to Pixel podcast network, where I host a couple of shows. We have Secret Wars and Beyond, where Dr. G and I cover every issue of every Marvel Comics superhero Secret Wars miniseries. We've done The Beautiful Gem that is Volume 1, The Gold-Plated Turd that is Secret Wars 2. And we're actually in the middle of Secret Wars 3 by Jonathan Hickman and Issa Ribic, which is the best crossover in Marvel history. And then Greg Arugio and I host a show called The Never-Ending Reading Pile, where we pick a short arc or story from a comic book we love, and we use it as a jumping off point to talk about that book and those creators and those characters. It's a, it's, it's like basically liquid nostalgia. So if you are, you know, like probably most of all of our listeners, if you are, you know, male or female between the ages of 35 and 50, then that's the show for you. It is, it is, you know, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. And so, so yeah, I'd love for people to come check out the shows. He does some fantastic shows. I've been on a few of them. I think that his insightfulness into the secret wars canon as it is is wonderful and it's a great deep dive into the now into marvel universe and everything wonderful about it as far as myself you can find me on twitter at jeff rick present or at my other podcast unpacking the power of power pack which i host with my grave robbing hunchback jeff If you would like to be on the show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com. And a big thank you to the Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use this beautiful attic of their headquarters to broadcast my show. And also to their sponsor, Omaha Bound, who does some great, great binding of any of those wonderful Secret Wars books that you've got. Just get them all, all the Secret Wars books, and put them into nice, big, bound editions. And then have Jim Shooter come and sign most of them. (laughs) You can do that at Omaha Bound. Also, to the Longbox Crusade members who help support this network, if you would like to support the network, please head on over to Patreon and search for Longbox Crusade. Now, that's all the time we have for this wonderful Mel Brooks film. For now, we're just going to ask you to go out, grab the popcorn, and pull up a seat for our next episode. The music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at JoeSefflin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-99.